Hello and welcome to Five Alive. It is another wonderful day to be alive. We are going to be reading the book of John chapter 17. But before we get there, I have a couple of questions. Have you ever had someone give you good advice or pray a prayer over you that was specific just for you? Yes. 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 What did you do or how do you know or how do you remember that? Did you write it down? Is there a certain smell that triggers in your mind? Oh, I remember when this person gave me this advice or they prayed for me. Or is there something that you see? How do you remember the advice that you got or the prayer that was spoken over you? I have a good memory. (laughs) Because you're 16 and you don't have a lot to cloud it up yet? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay. What else? For me, the good advice that I got going into marriage was communication, 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 communication with your spouse. This advice was given to me by my pastor's wife. We had a bridal shower, and at this bridal shower, it was for men and women that could both come because you came, right? You were there. Yes. And so you had guy gifts, and I had girl gifts, and it wedding gifts and uh we had a lot of friends and family that came out and celebrated us and they the the host of the bridal shower had a book and in this book she sent it around to anybody and everybody of words of advice for the bride and the groom what words of advice do you have just jot them down and then at the end of the time we're going to read some of these things and and discuss it before the bridal shower is over and i thought this is really cool and so at the end of the bridal shower um they gathered back the book and the the host she read she read part of the book and and she was like communicate 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 and everyone just started busting out laughing but that has stuck into my brain um maybe it's just the one word three times and there is no rhyme or reason to not over communicate with your spouse great advice very true anything for you mallory how do you remember a prayer or advice that somebody has given or spoken specifically to you just random moments in time i just randomly remember it like oh hey that person said this thing to me like if we're talking about something and then i'm like hey remember this and it's not even relevant to the conversation all right now aisha i think uh, on that time it's a need or it's a requirement so that's why we have told someone to pray for us or uh, some people give advice maybe because we are struggling or facing trouble so it's just a good memory says the same thing okay yeah no that's great well if you're ever having one of those days, those bad days, or life is just beating you up or you're discouraged, or maybe you're really having a good day and you're just wanting a little bit more encouragement and affirmation. John 17 is one of those passages of scripture where we get a a sneak peek into those moments that we've read about before where Jesus went off by himself to pray or Jesus was over in another area praying by himself. We, he went up onto the mountain to pray and we don't have those prayers recorded. However, John 17 is Jesus praying and no, this isn't the Lord's prayer that we read in Matthew, but this is Jesus praying and he's specifically communicating with God the Father and he's communicating with God the Father on behalf of us. 
It is because of us that he is giving this prayer. And this prayer is full of lots of encouragement. It's also filled with lots of references back to the Old Testament so that that way we can draw upon what it says there so that that way it can encourage us even more. And so we're going to read, we're going to break it up into two different sections, but we're going to go ahead and read this passage of scripture. Xavier is going to read the first 12 verses for us today. And Xavier, if you go ahead and read the word of the Lord. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son and the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you give me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence, and with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, and they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled." This is this portion of the reading of God's word today. Notice the intimacy that Jesus is praying with here and think about your prayer life and then think about those questions that you may have had in the past or maybe even, uh, maybe even today about what is prayer and notice the way Jesus is praying. He is definitely very knowledgeable of who the person is that he's speaking to. He's also very direct in the way he's having a conversation. He's also very aware of the fact in this portion of scripture that the disciples are listening and going to be writing this down. However, it's important for us to recognize that Jesus doesn't change his tonation of love for the Father. And the way he loves the Father and the way he just continues to pour his life and his heart out to God the Father is to be replicated inside of our lives. And so that's the first thing I want us to notice. Have you ever prayed and just felt like, oh my goodness, why why did I even pray that? Like that was a silly prayer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sure. Do you think that's the way God looked at it? No. no. I remember one time our refrigerator went out and we didn't have a refrigerator for a while. I was younger and I went into like a Sunday school class and the teacher was like, does anyone have any prayer requests this morning? And I rose my hand. And I was like, I want to pray for a refrigerator that will turn back on because we really don't have the money to buy a new one. And the whole class started laughing and she was like, quiet down, children. This is a serious prayer because God could hear Blair's wants and needs. And so see fit for the refrigerator to be up and running when they get back home. Mm -hmm. 
And well, sure enough, when we got back home, it was up and running. Hey. But it only lasted for six month, more months. But that gave enough time for my mom to set money aside for a new refrigerator in six months. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there with what you're saying, because look at the importance of the prayer. No prayer is insignificant. Every prayer is important. God wants to know these details of our life, and he enjoys the conversation, or as you already mentioned earlier, the advice you got for our marriage also applies to our relationship with God through Jesus Christ is communicate, communicate, communicate. We can never over communicate ourselves to him too much. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is us talking with God, having a communication, having a relationship with him. And it's so important for us to not just think of prayer as a moment that I have to walk to my bedside and get down on my knees and put my hands up on the bed and clasp them together or place them together as if they make a steeple or I have to stand completely straight with my shoulders back with my hands in an upraised position and that's the only way like God doesn't worry about the way that we are in our standing when we're in prayer with him he just wants us to talk with him Additionally, it does not matter the location of where we're at when we pray. We do not have to be at a temple or at a church or in some type of holy place. We can be anywhere and the time can be any time. It can be any season and he will listen to us. God wants us to have this type of intimate relationship with him that Jesus had with him. And I think that's important for us to uh, emphasize over and over and over again that prayer is communicating to God. And that is any fashion, just flat out talking to him and letting him know how your day was. He loves that. Like that's not going to be like, oh my goodness, this prayer was useless. We may feel that way. And even when we have a conversation with another person, when they start talking to us, we may be like, oh, I don't want to hear from them right now. But that's never the way God feels. God created us in a way that he wants us to constantly be in communication with him. And he loves that time that he has with us to talk with us. Another thing that I see drawn out in this passage of scripture is the importance of Jesus recognizing, but also telling us again about his authority. He has authority for two things. In verse two, he has the authority to grant eternal life, and he also has authority over all flesh. No limitation. He has the authority over all flesh. And when we're talking about authority, we're talking about he has the power to grant eternal life, but he also has the power to subjugate all of this earth. He is the king above all kings. And this is important for us to recognize because so many people try and discredit or discourage this type of belief because we have these philosophies and we have these teachings and we have people that say, well, I don't really feel like God's involved in my life right now, or I don't really feel like God. I mean, I talk to him in prayer, but I've never had him talk back to me. And anybody that has had him talk back to them, man, they're, they're just more spiritual than I am. And we come up with all these excuses to try and exclude Jesus out of our daily life conversation. But he wants us to recognize the importance of his authority on this earth over all flesh. And 
later on, he's going to talk about the fact that he does leave this earth or leave this world so that that way he is with the Father. But remember, in John chapter 14, he sends a helper who is the Holy Spirit to be with us and to help us as we walk through each and every day. Now, how do you feel about God being your authority and granting you this unimaginable, like we can't really fully comprehend what eternal life looks like. How do you look at life with, okay, today is 24 hours, it's Sunday, and yet eternity doesn't look like a 24-hour period. It doesn't look like a Sunday. It doesn't look like my regular weekly routine. How do you comprehend what eternity is and the fact that Jesus has authority over that eternity? That God is in control of time and that he does care about each and every individual and it's up to us. We do have that free will of choice to choose of what we do during the day. And it's not like Christ Jesus is over us with a hammer, hammering us down. If we, nope, you raised your hand wrong, or nope, you flexed your leg wrong, or nope, you've watched too much TV, or nope, you didn't go to work today. Well, there's another hammer on your head. He, he doesn't do that. So we do have the free will to choose of what we're going to do through that day, but through his authority, the sun rises. Through his authority, the sun sets. Through his authority, the moon comes out. Through his authority, it's another day again. We breathe. Yeah. By his authority, we have the opportunity to have oxygen go inside and carbon dioxide to come out. We have our heartbeat, we have brain functionality. Another thing with God's authority over eternity and other stuff that and what did you say over us and yeah all flesh and eternity flesh and eternity so in that we are mortal we're bound by time to a certain extent unless we believe in christ and he gives us the freedom to be not bound by time and when we pass on we are still no longer bound by time we live on so in that it doesn't mean we don't need to make schedules or plans to do certain things. Correct. But there's also a certain point of flexibility that comes into play in life, and you never know what's going to happen. I mean, all I can think of is every time we travel, we make plans to do stuff, but we don't do everything we plan to do because, hey, this is over here, and we didn't see it on anything on any website, but it just popped up, and we drove by it, and let's stop. Let's go see what's what's this place or this or you're driving to a place. You have an appointment. You get a flat tire. You can't control that. But that could be or but someone comes over to help you with your tire. That could be a good relationship moving forwards in that. And we don't need to be so bound by time in our heads and so worried about what people think or about, oh, I'm late for this. I'm going to get so much trouble for not doing this. Instead, we can relax and live life more flexibly because we know this is where God wanted me to be at this moment. And so then I can continue to do what he wants me to do here. And if I don't do what I set out to accomplish today, it's okay because that's what ultimately was willed for today. And I can get back to it later. Well, to the analogy of you talking about uh, on a holiday, uh, we're going, we're driving somewhere, and the plan is to go to point A, and we do that. However, we end up adding on a different point, 
and go into it that wasn't in our schedule, does that mean we're now out of control? No, because we're still going to the same destination. It's just that we made an extra stop because, hey, why not? And if we're planning on going somewhere and yet we get a flat tire and we build a relationship with somebody as a result of them stopping and helping us with our flat tire, does that prevent us from still accomplishing everything that we were set out to do? And do we ultimately lose control of that day? No. No, we don't. The same is true of God. Just because, just because we see things and we have a, an idea of the way things are supposed to go, when they don't happen that way, we seem to be real quick to jump on the fact that God's not in control because we had an idea of the way it was supposed to go. And if God didn't let it happen that way, then he's obviously not God. But that's not the way God works. That would be if we're God. That would be if we're the one that is in all-knowing, all-seeing, all-controlling, all-powerful. And yet, even in our own lives, we make the decisions to do things at the spur of the moment. Mm -hmm. And God's not that kind of God. He reveals himself to us at all times. And in fact, in verse 3, Jesus says, eternal life is to know God. To know the Father, to know the Holy Spirit, to know Jesus himself, that is eternity, to get to know him more and more and more, to understand his grace, to understand his mercy, to understand how he put this world together, to understand why certain things work and certain things don't work. Like I can go and I can jump, I can stand up out of my chair right now and I can jump in the air. Am I going to just float there? No. How come I'm not going to just float there? Because of gravity. How do I know that? Because gravity's there and I know every time I've jumped, I've always landed back on the ground again. Yeah. And so his authority is in place as Blair and Xavier are describing. And eternal life is knowing him, which Jesus references a little bit further on where he talks about being sanctified. Uh, but I don't want to get too far ahead of us ourselves here because Jesus then talks about the importance of the fact that he fulfilled his work while he was on this earth. And so often we look for Jesus to do something else or I need him to do one more thing in my life or I need him to do these things in my life. And if he was really God, then he would accomplish these things in my life. And yet what the scripture says here is, is that he fulfilled all of his work. There was a time that I was, Blair and I were doing something and her mom, Nani, said to me, she says, uh, Matt, did, did all of this get done? And I said, I don't know. I got my job done. I did my job. I don't know about everybody else, but I did my job. And she just laughed and laughed. And she still brings it up to this day. She's like, like if I, if she looks at me, she goes, Hey, did you, Never mind. I did my job is what she'd stop, stop and laugh. She goes, cause I know you did your job. Jesus did his job. Blair mentioned a, a prayer request that she gave of a refrigerator and wanting it to be able to run. Her Sunday school class prayed for that and the refrigerator ran. Did it run for all eternity? It ran for an additional six months, she said, which gave her mom time to save money so that that way she could buy a new refrigerator. Sometimes our answers to our prayers happen 
And then we just think that that's supposed to be the way it is for the rest of our lives instead of actually thanking God for the miracle that happened and then making the plan for all the second law of thermodynamics says that all of creation is dying. Everything is dying. Everything is rusting. Everything is going to be destroyed at some point. And so as that law continues to show us and as Blair's prayer shows us is, did God give her a miracle on that day? Yes. Did Blair's mom then expect six months later to have Blair go into a Sunday school class, pray again in the refrigerator to continue to run? Or was it her responsibility to then save money so that that way they could buy a refrigerator in the future? See, we so often forget that God grants us miracles, yet we still have a responsibility. And Jesus constantly shows us that through this. He says, look, I fulfilled my work. I've pointed you out, Heavenly Father. I've showed them who you are. And then he goes on to talk about the importance of the proof that existed before the world was formed. Jesus and God the Father were in existence. He says that in verse 5. And this is a nod to the Old Testament found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where we see God is not just God. Like we just said, oh, that's God. But this is God speaking in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, as he's creating us. And this is the way he says it. Mallory, will you read that for us? And God said, let us make man in our image after our kindness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle, and over all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Wonderful. Let us make man in our image and our and in our likeness. We don't talk that way when we're talking about ourselves. I don't say when I'm getting up in the morning. Let us go into the bathroom and brush our teeth so that our teeth will look white, right? right. But if I'm giving direction to my daughter, I say, Mallory, let us, when we wake up in the morning, brush our teeth so that way our teeth will be clean and we will not get cavities, right? Because I'm talking about more than one. But wait, God is one. Yes, he is one, but he is three persons. And that's what Genesis 1.26 points out is, yes, the Lord our God is one, and how and he is three persons. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the relationship between Jesus and God the Father has been in existence from before the world began, which also can show us how immortal he is and how mortal we are. We don't fully comprehend everything about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit's relationship because it existed before we ever even came into being. Next, we see that Jesus proclaimed or preached the word that Xavier used was manifest in verse six, God, to those placed in Christ's immediate care. So far, we've talked about the intimacy of God and our relationship and prayer with him. 
But I want us to recognize here that God, that Jesus is talking about the importance and the intimacy that he has with his disciples. He isn't talking about other people. He's not talking about the rest of the world. He's not talking about people in Africa in this moment or in Europe or in Asia or in North or South America or Australia. He's talking about his immediate disciples in that moment. He says that he preached or he manifest God to those that were in his immediate care. And in verse 20, a little bit later on, we're going to see that he then calls out to the rest of us who become his disciples, but yet he's still not talking about people who aren't his disciples. This prayer in Jesus speaking here is directly for those of us who call ourselves Christians, those of us who call ourselves disciples of Christ, those of us who are hum yeshu bhakti, those of us who are his disciples, those of us who claim to be one with him and he is one with us. And he shows us that he is not talking in this moment about other people outside of the flock, outside of his immediate care. He is talking about us. He doesn't despair over others whom he couldn't reach. He doesn't get upset that he couldn't teach everybody or preach the gospel to everybody. He cares about those in the immediate flock. And I know this can sound so conceited and discouraging and so patronizing and isolating for anybody who's not a Christian. So why don't you just accept Christ? And then you'll be a part of his flock. You don't have to say, I'm an outsider. You don't have to be an outsider. He invites you to be with him. So follow him. Allow him to be your shepherd. Allow him to be your master. Allow him to be your God. And then you will be a part of those that he's talking about in John chapter 17. We can use other people as an excuse very often for why we will not follow or believe. But others don't have the ability to keep us from believing in him. We are the determiner of that. Jesus then describes the fact that he has given all knowledge to his disciples. He says that both in verse 7 and 8, and he tells us that we have been able to receive his knowledge that has been gifted to us and given to us in a way so that that way we are not without knowledge of who he is and what he is doing on this earth and that we are reflectors of his glory. When we say, I want to see God's glory come on this earth, have you ever heard somebody say that? I wish we could see God's glory, or I wish God's glory would be right here, right now. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's songs that sing, that state, glory come down, may your glory come down. And yet Jesus here is saying, we are his glory. So if God's glory isn't here right now, then what is it that I've done wrong to keep his glory from being able to shine? Maybe that's the question that I need to ask instead of if Jesus has finished all of his work, which he said he did, and if I am his glory, and yet I want God's glory on this earth, then what is it I've done in order to keep God's glory from being manifest on this earth? It sounds to me like the way Jesus is pointing this out is he's, he's bringing us to a position where we wrestle with the idea that he is God and we are not, that he is our 
potter and we are the clay. He is the shepherd and we are the sheep. He gives these illustrations to us as an example so that that way we can see that we are a reflection of him. And so if we want his glory to come down, the way we do that is by getting to know him better. If eternity or eternal life is knowing God, then how well am I getting to know God and how well am I just zoning out? How often am I just sleeping the day away? How often am I consuming my life in entertainment? And how often am I really seeking to know him more? Jesus says in verse 12 that he kept God's name. He kept God's name. What is the importance of God's name? I think the importance and that this is again Jesus showing us back to the Old Testament where we see in Genesis chapter 32, we see a a portion of scripture where there is a man named Jacob and he's left alone. He is getting ready to cross from a land that he was in into a new land, the land that he had come from, the land of his father. And as he was left alone in Genesis 32, verse 24 and following, it says, and Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the break of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. Jacob is seeking to know God's name. He's given a new name. His name's no longer Jacob. It's now Israel. God changes his name in this moment at Genesis chapter 32. And Jacob reciprocates the question, what is your name? And the name is not given. However, in John chapter 17, Jesus says, I have given you God's name, pointing back to this moment in time. So I ask you, what is wrestling? And I'm not talking about WWE, (laughs) but what is wrestling? A struggle. Well, I mean, not like to be like overly analytical, but like what is the actual physical contest of wrestling? Oh, it's a grappling sport, isn't it? Sure. It's two, usually more recently, it's, it's two people that hold onto each other's shoulders and try and get that one person onto the ground and hold them down on the ground for a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. So if in that definition of wrestling, then God and Jacob were grappling at each other's arms and shoulders and trying to push each other towards the ground and sure. subdue the per- and subdue them. Right. Uh, can a wrestler wrestle an opponent without touching them? No. No, it's physical. It's, an it's a very physical sport. It's a good game of Twister. <laughs> <laughs> so how physical is wrestling? Like, is there any part of your body that wouldn't touch your opponent? No. no. It's a full, it's a full, full contact, contact sport. sport. Full contact sport. So if I'm wrestling Xavier and I'm going to take him to the ground, I'm going to use all of my strength. 
I'm going to use all of my energy. I'm going to use all of my knowledge to try and get him to say, uncle, <laughs> in order to get me to let him go. And he's going to be doing the same right back at me, right? Mm -hmm. And as we wrestle physically, do you think we would get exhausted? Yes. yes. How could this parallel to our life with God for all of eternity? God's over there and I'm over here and we have no contact with him. Then we're not wrestling with him, are we? No. And it makes it a whole lot easier to say he doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And when he comes and he does collide with us in order to wrestle with us, if our immediate reaction is just to give up or try and run away from him, then we never actually wrestle with him to get to know him, do we? Mm -hmm. And I see that, that that's what happens so often in this world. God's name in this story of Jacob and God wrestling, Jesus saying that he gave us God's name, makes me think of a couple of areas of life that I've lived so far and one that I'm fastly approaching. The one I'm fastly approaching, and this is one that I've heard people say constantly, is... I've been there and I've done that. And so I want to ask myself, as I wrestle with God, as I continue to gain more knowledge of him, as I prepare for my eternal life with him, in my old age, am I refusing to grow? Am I refusing to wrestle with God? Well, I already wrestled with him once, so I'm never going to do that again. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt is a phrase that I used to hear a lot in America. Mm -hmm. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Really? You've done everything the world has to offer? I would have said, can I see your t-shirt? <laughs> but really, we have to ask ourselves, in my old age, am I refusing to gain knowledge of God? Am I refusing to get closer to him? Am I saying, I already did that, and I'm not going to do it again? Or... Are we allowing ourselves to continue to call upon the name of the Lord and wrestle with him? In my young age, am I a know-it-all? Do I see myself as superior to everyone else because I've got all the knowledge? My, my favorite thing to say a couple of years ago was that there's this amazing thing that happens with a young man about the age of 15 is that his head gets separated from the rest of his body and he places it on the shelf of knowing it all. And he walks around without his head thinking that he knows it all. But it's really amazing because around 23 or 24, he goes and he picks that head back up, puts it on his head and he goes, oh my goodness, I didn't know all of this. And I'm not saying everybody does that. I'm just saying it happens quite often that we as young people and the age can be all the way up to 30, 35, 40. It can absolutely go all the way until we die. Is do I see myself as superior to others? I already know it all and you're not going to tell me any different. If that's the case, we're not really wrestling with God and we're not really getting to know his name, are we? And then back to that zoning or just coasting through life. If you have no pain, no hurdles, and no difficulties, if there is nothing going on and your life is just smooth sailing and there's nothing that's ever gone wrong, maybe you got to ask yourself the question, what are you doing exactly in your life that everything is just smooth sailing? Because there's nothing in this world and there's definitely nothing in scripture that says life is going to be easy and carefree.
easygoing, and you're never going to have a hard day's work or a hard day in life. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what life proves. Proof of life is, is that you're going to have struggles. There's going to be things that you have no control over, as Xavier mentioned earlier, with a, a flat tire possibly, or shucks, what about an earthquake? Or what about a tornado or a monsoon that just floods your whole area? And then all of a sudden, I mean, these things happen. And when these disasters come, do I allow it to be a time where I wrestle more intimately with God so that, that way I better get to know his name? What is the importance of a name? Very important. It's a very, uh, the name is what defines you and separates you from other people. Your name is like most servants weren't called by their names because they weren't seen as important enough to be called by their name. Mm. Like they may have had a name amongst their community, amongst their people, but not a lot of servants and other stuff were named because of the fact that they weren't seen as important enough to hold that prestige of being having a name in it being you. Mm -hmm. Like that name is you. Mm -hmm. You are the one who lives out your name. And some people may have the same name, but they're completely different people because they're their own fill in the blank that name. They're their own Sam. There could be six Sams in the same room. They're each going to be different people because they are their own Sam. And that Sam, their name Sam, defines who they are and what they do and how they act and live. But they don't live off of, if they're all different, they won't live and base their lives off of each other. They're all going to be different, but they're all going to have the same name. But that name is going to define who they are. And your name is you attach yourself to. Mm -hmm. To the point where when you grow up with a name, you're like, my name is this. And the name is so important. People ask you, what is your name? Because they want to know who you are. Yeah. Especially when they want to know who you are. Yeah. And it's more than just a casual conversation of you see somebody, hey, and you can see them every day. Hey, how's it going? Hey, how are you doing? And never know the person's name. Yeah. Are you? Do you really have a relationship with that person? Not really. But if you can look at them and say, hey, Mallory, how are you doing? Hey, Aisha, how are you doing today? When we say that name, when we say your name, does that make you feel important? Does it make you feel recognized? Yeah, absolutely. And it's no different today than it was thousands of years ago. It's as important for us to have our name called. God never forgets our name. That's how important we are to him, which gives another nod when Jesus says that God, I let you know God's name. It also shows us the importance of the Psalms where there's a Psalm that says that God has my name written on the palm of his hand. That's how important I am. We were playing basketball the other night and there's a young lady that plays basketball with us and she had some notes written on her arm. And I was like, oh, or, you know, what, what is that? And she's like, oh, it's my assignment that I have later. And I said, so is it important? She goes, well, yeah, it's written on my arm so that that way I will remember. And that's true. I remember doing the same thing as I was younger is as I would write down name, something to remember, whatever on my hand, because maybe I don't have a piece of paper or something. But I also find it very important to know 
that information. So I write it there. You do the same? Yeah, last last week yeah, when I was going to interview, it's hard to remember the company name. I always saying GMG, but it's MGM. Uh, so I write down in my head. <laughs> do you remember if you asked what's the company name or something? Yeah. So I just write down. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how important we are is that God has our name written. Not just written. He has our name tattooed on his hand. And I know that's hard for us to comprehend. Wait, there's 7 billion people in the world right now. How does he have 7 billion people's names written on the palm? Listen, he's, he's God. He's bigger than we are, and his hand looks different than ours. We're made in his image. We can't even fathom right now what that looks like. But to wrestle with God is to continue to gain knowledge of him. And if we're gaining knowledge of God and we're wrestling with him on a regular basis, that means we're entering into eternal life because to know God is to have eternal life. And as we continue to, you see how this continues to go? Mm -hmm. You see how important it is in our life and for our life's work to not just be a monotonous day in, day out. And I know it's hard sometimes, like working in a call center, it feels like I just do the same thing all day, every day, right? What? How can I discover God more in my day? How can I see him more? And I think that's what Jesus is really pointing out to us in this passage of scripture. All right, we're going to finish up this passage of scripture. Blair, will you read for us the last 14 verses and we will wrap up. And now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Thank you so much for reading that. The world will hate God's people, and we've talked about this before, but some of the ways, just as a reminder, is uh, they will see the Bible as obsolete. They'll call Jesus just a good teacher, but he's not God. They'll focus on bad ambassadors who have manipulated, power-grabbed, molested, cheated, basically done the opposite of what God's word and God's name call them to be, and yet they still refer to themselves as God's people. These are the ways that people divide themselves and begin to hate us as his people. Yet we aren't going to be removed upon the acceptance of Christ. The day you ask Jesus into your heart, Mallory, 
Did you all of a sudden end up in eternity in heaven? No. Aisha? No. Xavier? No. Blair? Nope. I, I know I didn't. And Jesus says, you're not going to. All of a sudden just, hey, you did it. You accomplished exactly what needed to be done. And so I'm going to take you out of the world. That's not what he does. We continue to live here, but we're not of the world. We are pilgrims. We are aliens in this world. We are just passing through our world, our home, our future is in eternity. And then he points to us the importance of being sanctified in his truth, to be sanctified in God's word. He says this in verses 17 through 19, and I believe these are nods to different portions of scripture. So we have uh, Hebrews 2, 11 through 12. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. Absolutely. And then Leviticus 27 through 8. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. He sanctifies us in his truth, and he calls us to be separate from the world. He calls us to be men and women who respect other people, and not just respect them, but take it beyond that to the point where we love others, not just the people within our immediate sphere of influence. In the book After Virtue, Alistair McIntyre talks about how is interesting when people protest something, all they do is get around like-minded people and they don't actually get out of that sphere of knowledge to see other people's points of view and they just continue to start harboring and becoming bitter about how they're right and everybody else is wrong. And unfortunately, very unfortunately, the church has been guilty of doing this very thing. Unfortunately, people who call themselves Christians have become bad ambassadors, and they have, instead of being men and women who love others, have become protesters standing on their rights. That's not what God's name leads us to do. God's name and knowledge of his name and getting to know God more never cuts us off from other people. In fact, what he does is he desires us to go further in relationship with him and bring others with us. The disciples will proclaim the name of Jesus and he makes sure that we know that he sees us 2,000 years later in verses 20 and 21. He talks about those of us here in the 21st century today in John chapter 17, 20 and 21. And he talks about the importance of us continuing to be sanctified and gain knowledge of him so that that way we will become perfectly one with God one day. Verse 23. I want us to look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. 
as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. As we continue to maintain holiness, as we continue to be sanctified in the truth of God's word and in the truth of his name and in getting to know him more intimately and deeply, we will exhibit ourselves in a way that is different from the rest of the world. Have you noticed a lot of sexual references out there in the world today? Yes. Yes. Have you noticed that there's the importance of Instagram, making sure that you take your selfie just right so that that way you get more likes? And usually it's not a non-sexual pose, but a very sexualized pose that gets you yes. more likes. Yeah. When we're sanctified in Christ, do we do that? No. Perfectly not. As we continue to desire to become holy and to be holy, we don't trivialize ourselves to be like the rest of the world, but instead we set ourselves apart. Mallory has Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Jesus Christ unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk within them. We're his workmanship. We're men and women. We're young men and women that have been set aside and set apart so that that way he can glorify himself inside of us and bring him glory and honor. And the last thing that he talks about is his love for us. Christ's love was existent before the formation of the world. And God, the Father's love for the Son, existed even before the formation of the world. And so in closing, Christ brings out in his prayer that the love of the Heavenly Father for his Son is revealed in you and I. So that this love can then be in us and that Christ will be in us that we will be one body, that we will be joined together, that everything we do will be one. That is what the love of God is, is that we are united together with him in love. Christ has given us gifts. He gave us God's name. He gave us himself. He gave us intimacy with, him, with God. He's given us sanctification. He's given us knowledge. And he's given us love. And all these things are mentioned in John chapter 17. So how do I apply these gifts? Well, it's different for every one of us, isn't it? Mm -hmm. How do I make sure that I'm using God's knowledge, God's name properly? How do I make sure that I'm loving effectively? Well, I talk with him in prayer about it. And I continue to seek after his face for the rest of eternity. During the sanctification process, we can rush ourselves and we can rush others. However, let it be our prayer today that the consecrator of our lives, who does not rush us into sanctification, but calls us to be sanctified and allows us to be sanctified in his timing, as well as in accordance with our nature in the time that we have on this earth and the time that we have for all eternity, that he will be glorified in us. May he be praised. May he be honored. Mallory, will you close us in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for every single day and that we will worship the Lord every single day and pray with him every single day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.